With that, we'll dive in. Uh, this morning, I think I'm going to read the scripture. Uh, I don't think we have a scripture reader. Um, and it's actually the same scripture as last week. So when I read this and you're thinking in the back of your head, like, didn't we just go through this? Uh, we are very much aware of that. <laughs> and uh, it turns out the story of Christmas isn't just a one-time deal that we do once a year, but that actually has implications for our entire lives, and it continues on. Uh, just as the song we sang, the first one, you know, we can think, oh, that's a Christmas song. But the words in these songs that we sing at Christmas are core to our faith and what we believe. And so we could sing these year round and they would no less, have no less meaning for us. So uh, the scripture is from Luke uh, chapter 2, verses 1 through 20. And I'll read through it here. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration of Quirinius, the governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and lied, laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find the baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was an angel, suddenly with the angel, a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God, saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning the child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds had told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, Father, um, as we go into this new year, um, I pray that you would uh, you would speak through me, that you would speak through um, our friends coming up here to share their stories later, uh, that you would deeply encourage us of the work that you are doing in this world that um, didn't just start at Christmas, but was the inauguration of you coming uh, to earth and how that affects all of our lives. Every aspect, every moment, every detail of our lives is now changed because of this moment. And I pray that you would guide us going into this next year and into the rest of our lives. Um, give us eyes to see how this changes our lives. Give us courage to walk into unknown spaces or very well-known spaces with different eyes um, and hearts transformed. Um, by this knowing that you have come into our world and that you are working. Uh, so Lord, please uh, speak through me and uh, 
lift all this up in the name of Jesus. Amen. Uh, so yeah, we went through this last week and we were talking about the birth of Jesus and Matt had really focused on how Jesus had come to us in an unexpected way, how he come into, he was coming from out of the middle of nowhere in obscurity, this tiny town of Nazareth goes to Bethlehem, he's born into a feeding trough, and how God appears uh, to those similarly, like the shepherds who come from the middle of fields, um, who were nobodies in the world's eyes and how God, the God of the universe, appears to those who don't have great regard, but are poor, they're dirty, and to be honest, probably very smelly people. <laughs> um, but this, in, this incredible, after this, what we're gonna focus is on that last verse of the, of the passage where the shepherds go back to their fields. And um, the incredible part of this story is that after God comes to earth in the form of man, the shepherds go back to their fields. The wise men who we read about in Matthew go back to whatever they do, their professions back in their country. And even Mary, Joseph, and Jesus, they head back to their tiny podunk town in, uh, in Nazareth, this, back, uh, this backwoods town. Um, and so we're going to focus specifically on the, the shepherds this morning. After witnessing this angelic chorus, this incredible grand display of worship, the shepherds go back to herding sheep in the middle of nowhere, and as far as we know, for the rest of our, their lives. And so the question that we're left with, or that I've been thinking about this past week, is why did God choose these people, these people who came from nowhere and who go right back to living in nowhere? Why did he choose to appear to these people? And the truth is, if we go back through the Bible, to the beginning, all the way from the beginning up until this point, we realize that this is actually nothing new, that God loves to choose people from obscurity. He loves to choose people from the fringes of society and use them to advance his redemptive purposes. Um, one example we're gonna look at is uh, Israel in Deuteronomy chapter seven. Um, in this passage, Israel's on the edge of entering the promised land, and so it's kind of Moses's well, the Lord's words to Israel through Moses. Um, they've witnessed incredible, miraculous deeds in Egypt. He delivered them out of slavery. They came out of Egypt, and now he sustained them through the wilderness, and he's about to bring them into this land that he's promised them for generations to their father Abraham. And the thing is, as we've read the, if you've been reading the story up until that point, you realize that Israel has done nothing to deserve that promised land. In fact, they've done everything wrong, and yet God is still bringing them. Here they are on the cusp about to enter in. Um, so why is he going to do this? Why does he still promise them this land that they're going into? Uh, so we're in Deuteronomy uh, chapter 7, just verses 6 through 8. This is the Lord speaking to Israel. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possessions out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. It is not because you were more numerous than, other, than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were of the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. 
And so you hear it right there pretty bluntly. Israel is not chosen because of any perceived glory or power or prestige they had in the world. It's actually quite the opposite. They didn't even exist until he called Abraham out of the middle of nowhere from a pagan land and created the nation out of them. But he chose them because he loved them and because he made a promise so that to their forefathers and God keeps his promises. So in choosing Israel, just like in choosing the shepherds to witness Jesus' birth, God redefines our definition of what it means to be made known. There are no nobodies in God's eyes. He chooses people not because of how the world sees them, but because of how he sees them. So Israel is in a different context, though, than we are today. Israel was a chosen nation and brought into relationship with God under what we call the Old Covenant, established by the law at Sinai, kind of epitomized by the Ten Commandments. It was a law that required obedience uh, to maintain the relationship for God to dwell with them. Um, This was the covenant that the shepherds were under as well uh, at the time of Jesus' coming. Hundreds of years had passed, though, since then, and uh, since the establishment of this covenant, And Israel had only proven, just like they did in the wilderness and when they got brought out of slavery, that they cannot obey it, that the law is impossible to obey. And, but the prophets have been speaking since then, as Israel failed and they spiral into their sin and they get exiled into foreign nations, the prophets spoke of one who could though, of a Messiah or a king who would fulfill the law and bring God's people back into a relationship with himself. And that's what Jesus did. He fulfilled the old law by living a perfect, sinless life and obeying it to a T. So this moment we celebrate at Christmas is Jesus breaking and God breaking into the world to fulfill the law that humans could not fulfill. He offered up his life as a perfect, sinless sacrifice, absorbing the sin and disobedience of anyone who would believe in him so that the law would be fulfilled on their behalf as well. As Paul says in Romans 3:26, God is just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. He is just in giving our disobedience the due punishment of death in Jesus, and he's the justifier in giving us the due righteousness of his life in faith for what he has accomplished. So that's our story for those of you who are in Christ this morning here. And this means through Jesus' life, death, and the resurrection, God's choosing is no longer particular to a national group. It's not particular to Israel, an ethnic group there, but it has broken out to all of the world, to anyone who would believe in Jesus as their Savior, the one who absorbs sin and gives them peace with God. This means that we, as in the church here, as those who are in Christ, are now the treasured possession that God is talking to Israel about. We are his treasured possession. We're chosen by him not because of anything that we've done, because of what he has done on our behalf. Now, just as Israel was redeemed from slavery, waiting for a promised land, we are redeemed from our sins, filled with the Holy Spirit, but we're waiting for our king to return and bring us into his eternal kingdom. This is all we've been walking through this past fall in the uh, book of Revelation. So we're people on the cusp of entering our own promised land, waiting for him to do that. But again, this completely redefines how we find significance and purpose in our lives here. The shepherds went back to 
honestly just shoveling sheep poop in the middle of nowhere. But the text says that they did so glorifying and praising God as they went. They had tasted and seen the goodness of God in the face of Jesus, and they returned to their monotonous, hard, unglamorous lives with hope and joy in their hearts. They knew God was at work in the world, and that they were not forgotten, but that they were actually a part of that work. So you have to imagine that the lens through which they saw the world going forward has completely changed going forward. The way that they see their lives and their work has completely changed. Uh, When thinking about this and thinking about my own testimony over this past year and how the Lord has come to me, um, he made me think about (laughs) the biggest event over this past year is that I got married. And uh, this past year I was engaged and anxiously anticipating and hoping and having all these feelings about um, my wedding coming up. And um, getting married at the age of 33 um, means that I lived a lot of life uh, as a single man and grown really comfortable and in a lot of my routines and habits. And so there was a lot of anxiousness, a lot of nervousness about this idea of living the rest of my life with someone who's gonna see all my quirks and all my uh, imperfections up close. Um, So I knew I loved Amy, but walking into that kind of unknown is very scary. Um, Yeah, and the Lord taught me a lot through that. Well, the thing is, our wedding day came back in May, and it was beautiful, and it was joyful, and it was all the things, all the emotional highs that come with that day. We went on our honeymoon, and then we came back home, and then the next day, we went to work. (laughs) We went back to our jobs that we've been doing for years at that point. Um, And it just started to dawn on me slowly there. I mean, it sounds obvious saying it out loud, but in the moment uh, that although this massive life-changing event had happened in our lives, life goes on. Life just continues. And although everything was exactly the same with our work and our friendships and our church and all that, Everything was completely different at the same time. The lens through which I saw the world has completely shifted. I started to see and learn that the decisions I make no longer affect only me, but now this person who I've become attached to. Even the smallest, seemingly insignificant decisions have the power to to display my affections for her or my affections for myself. And it turns out that I think about myself a lot. And this was the picture, uh, and this was the picture uh, of following Jesus for me over this past year. As someone who believes and follows Christ, I'm I'm attached to him. In fact, Jesus uses the language that um, when he redeemed his people, the church, it's wedding language, that we are married to him when we become his people. And now my whole life is defined by this relationship. Every decision I make, even the smallest ones, reflect that relationship. They were... They reflect either my love of God or either my love of self. And this is why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, 31, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do do it all for the glory of God. There is no middle ground (laughs) with that. So if we bring it back to this text, uh, this is where we're finding ourselves today. Just like the shepherds, we were chosen to witness and believe the miraculous redemption that comes comes through Jesus Christ breaking into our world. And as we saw in Revelation over the fall, we wait for his return as those with deep hope for all things to be made new when he brings back his kingdom in full. 
But we, like the shepherds, have to go back to our fields, have to go back to our work, back to our jobs, back to the routine and mundane things in life. But now we go with joy and worship in our hearts, knowing that knowing our God is at work in the world and he's actually using us as a part of that work. The lens through which we see the world and our work has completely changed. So this, I hope, comes as a great encouragement to you all. Um, because we're all trying to find significance in this life. We're all trying to find purpose and meaning in what we do. But if the story of Christmas teaches us anything, the story of creation itself is that not, purpose is not found, but it is given to us. Our purpose was given the moment God created us out of the dirt in Genesis 1. And although that purpose has been distorted and marred by our sin in the fall, it has been resurrected and made new in Jesus. Uh, some very smart people who crafted a long time ago the Westminster Confession of Faith. Um, if you haven't read through it, we're a PCA church, so I highly recommend you do. Um, it's great. It's a very um, powerful piece of literature. But the first question they ask in there is, what is the chief and highest end of man? And the answer is to glorify God and fully to enjoy him forever. For those who are in Christ, this is our purpose in life. Well, honestly, it's the purpose of any human born into this world, whether they realize it or not. And again, it means that in God's economy, there are no nobodies, and that there is no such thing as insignificant work, because if the story of Christmas teaches us anything, it is that God is at work, even in the smallest, most mundane moments of life, in the most remote places of the world, to bring about his glory and our joy. Um, so this morning, we got some special... If you've been here on a New Year's uh, Eve service or New Year's service, uh, we have a time of testimonies. And so I'm going to invite those folks that we've asked uh, to come on up here. And um, it's a moment for us to reflect. Uh, they're going to share stories um, of how they've seen God work over, their pa- over this past year in their lives. In the good, the bad, the painful, the joyful, the sorrowful, and everything in between. And we do this every year. Uh, to be reminded that God is not done working, and to be strengthened to believe he will continue that work going forward, all the way until we go home or he returns. Uh, So as they share, um, our prayer, my prayer, um, is that your faith would be strengthened listening to our friends' stories, and that it would cause you to reflect on your own story, your own testimony going into this next year. so yeah, thank you all for sharing. This takes a lot of courage, folks. So um, yeah, I'll let them take it. All right, my name is Eric Dussard, and I just wrote this down, so I'm just gonna read it and not look at you. So um, <laughs> my name is Eric Dussard, 33 years old. Um, I've been going to Midtown West for three years since it started. Uh, Midtown 12 South for about five years before that. Um, Andrew asked me to say something to you guys today, and I said, good luck, because he knows what I'm gonna say. So here we go. Um, I want to address uh, the single people in the room today, because um, that's where I'm at, um, especially those of us who are getting older and uh, feel like we're getting left behind. You know, growing up in church, you know, not necessarily Midtown, um, single people have always felt like second-class citizens um, compared to married people, especially us older single people. They get looked, we get looked at like there's something wrong with us. You know, um, every conversation turns into asking if we're seeing somebody or, hey, I know somebody I can set you up on a date with. Um, You know, and there's all kinds of advice and sermons for married couples. 
and I'd say maybe like once or twice a year, you know, various pastors in my life might mention singleness um, and say something along the lines of singleness is a gift. First um, Corinthians seven thirty two. Um, and, you know, I always hear that and say, perfect. Um, how so? Uh, to which they would say, you know, well, I don't know. I got married when I was 22. And uh, and thank God singleness isn't my gift. But uh, I'm sure it's great because Paul says it is. So good luck. Um, so for me in 2023, uh, I started dating somebody in January, broke up in February, um, as one does. And at the same time, every single one of my close friends was either getting married or having kids. I'm talking every single one. Um, so I thought to myself, uh, here we go. Another year of God giving amazing gifts to all of his children, except for me. Um, but today I stand here and say I was very wrong. Um, and being single in 2023 has been one of the best gifts I've ever received. Uh, the fact of the matter is that you can do so much more for the kingdom of God, and you can share the love of Jesus with so many more people as a single person than a married person can or a parent can. Um, and diving into your God-given purpose and sharing the love of Jesus with others is where true joy is found. And that is simply just more possible as a single person. Um, I was able to make so many friends with non-Christian people in, in 2023. I'm talking 50 to 100 people. Um, I met them at run clubs. We're actually all in the same run club, believe it or not. Line dancing, CrossFit, my condo wine nights, pool parties, red bicycle, hanging out with random people and going to random events by myself. And when you meet non-believers, there's no shortage of ways you can show them the love of Jesus. Um, so I'm just going to throw out a couple examples. Um, someone needs to ride to the airport at 4 a.m., like done, like I've got you. Somebody's freaking out because they're moving tomorrow and they don't know how they're going to do it. Like, I'll be there tomorrow with my truck. Um, you know, I don't have, like, date night with my wife. I don't have soccer practice for my kid. So I can instantly see a need, help, and fulfill that need. Um, I notice a financial need in one of my friends. I can instantly buy them food or give them money. Like, I don't have to double-check the budget with my wife. Um, I don't have to afford daycare. Um, I can just go for it. Someone texts me. They're lonely and need a friend. Yeah, man, let's get dinner tonight after work. Um, Someone doesn't have anywhere to go for Thanksgiving, Christmas, or other holidays? Uh, not today, homie. You're coming with me. Um, you know, I don't have to go meet my wife's, like, third aunt this weekend. Um, <clears throat> you've got, like, an improv show or an album release concert? Uh, like, I'm there. Um, you know, and they know this. Like, a lot of people in this group, the non-Christians, they would rather die than go to church. And you better believe that they feel loved like when we've stepped up and gone to their shows or done stuff with them. Um, and singleness is not just about what you can do for others. Um, it's also that you have so much more time to dedicate to your walk to the Lord. Um, 6 a.m. prayer gatherings on Thursdays, like I'm there. You know, I don't have to feed a kid at 3 a.m. and be sleep deprived. Um, Christian conference I want to go to, me and Megan went to a Christian conference yesterday um, in, here in town. Um, I want to try out therapy and spiritual direction with Dave. Like, yeah, let's do it. Um, church doesn't have enough Bible study leaders. We host a Bible study in my condo. Um, church needs a bass player or someone to run the slides. Like, sure. Um, on top of that, I just want to encourage single people to start living life now and not waiting until you have your future spouse to go do things with. Um, a lot of people view singleness as like a waiting room with an indefinite timeline before they get married and actually get to start like living life. Um, and that's just not the case. 
Um, so a couple of examples, like I was able to travel and run the New York and Honolulu marathons this year. Um, I realized me and my dad don't have a, the best relationship and I wanted to improve it. Um, so I went to Iceland with him and I went on another camping trip with him this summer. Um, I got a Costco membership just for myself. Um, I get the hot dog and Pepsi every time. Uh, Saturday mornings I run to Red Bicycle, uh, pet people's dogs and I talk to strangers. Um, so in 2023, the Lord taught me that he is faithful and worthy of trust in his timing. Uh, your singleness has eternal purpose and you're not stuck on the bench waiting to be put in the game once you get married. Uh, God can do so much in your singleness even when you feel like you've been abandoned. And he taught me this year that I can trust him. Um, Isaiah 43, 19. Behold, I'm going to do something new. Now it will spring up. Will you not be aware of it? I will even make a roadway in the wilderness, rivers in the desert. Thanks. Hi, I'm Lindsay Beck. I've been going to Midtown since August. Um, I'm gonna try not to get emotional when I talk about this, um, so sorry guys if I do. Um, I started the year at one of the lowest points of my life, and I, um, sorry. I um, had always believed the lie that I wasn't worthy of love, and anyone that got to know me below surface level would abandon me. And that culminated in a lot of really terrible things happening at the end of last year and the beginning of this year. And I just remember I called my therapist and I was like, I don't want to live anymore and I have a plan to take my own life. And I just didn't see a way out. Um, and I look back on that now like I didn't see the light at the end of the tunnel. And then the Lord really showed me that um, you just have to sometimes be com broken completely down um, to be built up as a new person. Um, so there's kind of three things when I was thinking about this year that I really learned as core truths. And the first was my identity not being in my relationships, but in who God has made me and how, what he has done for me. Um, so I did spiritual counseling at the beginning of this year, and I'd never done that before. Um, and it was such a blessing because my therapist, Josh, was really the first person that spoke the truth to me in love, even when it was hard to hear. Um, and he just said flat out, hey, like, the identity that you have is not right. It's not biblical and it's actually sinful to people please and try to earn people's love. Um, and at first I was like, this is an impossible task. Like, how do I not think like this? Um, and then slowly over months together, we read so much scripture and listened to so many sermons and music and things like that. And I slowly started to believe that the, the radical truth that God loved me and it wasn't because of something I'd done. It was because of Christ's work on the cross. And then once that was seated deep into my heart, all my relationships changed. And I felt free going into relationships. I'd always felt so scared that people were going to leave me. And once they didn't leave and I was felt free um, because of that identity being in me, it just changed everything for me. Um, the second truth I'd say I learned is that obedience isn't always easy, but it's worth it. Um, so I felt like at the beginning of this year, around springtime, that I was called to change churches. And I, really, I literally wrote in my journal, God, you are crazy, because I have been at this church for two years. It took me eight months to find, and I'm super involved. I know every single person in this room. I'm like, what are you doing, Lord? 
And my friend Megan, that I'm really close with, that I work with at Fleet Feet, um, had mentioned how much she loved her church. And the Lord was kind of poking at my heart, like, maybe you should go and check it out. And I left that service and I was like, Lord, I know you're calling me here. And I, I don't know why, but I'm going to do it. Um, and then committed to that. And even though I knew I was doing what God had called me to do, it, the fallout was hard. Um, I got all these nasty text messages, people meeting me and just telling me that I was wrong and I was hurting the entire church and that I, all these just nasty things that I just couldn't bear. Um, But even though that was also hard because of all the identity work I'd just done earlier that year, I felt like the Lord um, just told me that it was going to be okay. And I felt grounded in that um, and ended up, I would say, coming here, I felt more in community than I had in two years. And then I just felt, I realized how spiritually stagnant I was. And I've grown in my faith so much since coming here, which is such a huge blessing. Um, And the last thing I'd say I learned this year is the power of Christian family. I always thought that was kind of weird, like my brothers and sisters in Christ. I'm like, that's a weird phrase. Um, But I just saw, so I, part of the reason that I have, or I had so many identity issues is because I grew up in a family that was very legalistic and very successful parents and I felt like I had to be successful and well-liked to be loved and they definitely expressed to me when I didn't meet those standards that that was a disappointment and I just felt the weight of that so much um and then this year (laughs) I because they have left the church and that's been really hard um they decided to spend both Thanksgiving and Christmas um away from their kids and it left me alone and it was like a core fear was coming back up to the surface I'm like I'm not enough because if I was enough they'd stay um so um um so yeah I just prayed I cried out to God I was like God I don't want to be alone like I know this this is your will I'll get through it but I just can't do it and multiple people in this body just took me into their homes and took care of me. And I was like, this is what the Lord does for us. He sees our shame and he washes it away and welcomes me to the table. And I was like, that is such a powerful lesson I learned. Um, so this is really the first year I read scripture. I'd never really studied it before. Um, so I couldn't really think of a key verse. I've just read so much scripture that I've really like loved reading it with a new truth in mind about my identity, but there's a song I swear I've listened to like 355 days of 365 days. Um, It's called Yet Not I, But Through Christ in Me, and this is what I want to close with. It says, to this I hold, my shepherd will defend me through the deepest valley he will lead. Oh, the night has been won, and I shall overcome, yet not I, but through Christ in me. Hi, uh, my name is Michelle Gonko. I've called or been going to Midtown um, for like two and a half years now, and um, I've called Nashville home almost six years now. So, um, um, the about this time last year, um, God felt like God was calling me to stay in Nashville, um, and the idea of staying um, was absolutely terrifying, um, because I wanted to go and do um, and have my own plan. Um, but it is in this past year of the slowness and the steadiness of staying um, that God has done really profound um, healing and edification um, in me and brought to light a lot of darkness um, that I had been carrying in my life. 
um, for the better part of a decade, um, I've struggled um, with binge eating and body dysmorphia. Um, it's been um, cyclical seasons of just constant anxiety about what I'm eating, how much I'm eating, and then compensating with excessive exercise to fix myself. Um, and um, it was in this darkness um, that God called me um, earlier this season. Um, and he said, you know, you need to, I want you to bring this to light. Um, and when he called me, I still had a lot of shame um, and fear of what other people will think if I bring this to the light. Um, I also had a lot of, um, just honestly, apathy of, I've hidden this so well for so long. Um, why does it matter? Um, and um, so when he brought that, that he said he wanted to bring it to light, I took it upon myself that I was going to fix myself um, because I was, had too much shame to bring it to him. Um, and so I did, you know, new fitness regimens and tracked what I was eating and avoided things that would trigger um, my binge eating and um, created these perfect set of laws for myself and that if I could attain these laws, um, that it would be fine because I could still present my life as like a perfect, um, fine um, exterior. So it would have been a great Pharisee back in the day. Um, and, um, but it was during this season of where to the rest of the world I appeared and in my eyes so perfect um, that the Lord called again um, and really revealed like how it was rotting so much of my like mental and physical and spiritual well-being. Um, and I had, during this season also the Satan very much convinced me that this disease was only affecting me, and so I didn't need to worry about it. Um, but in reality, um, God revealed very um, frankly, but also very gently, um, that I was constantly keeping people at an arm's distance um, because I was always afraid if they got too close, I would be found out to be too broken and too much. Um, and so it was easier just to keep people at a surface level. Um, and um, it was during this kind of dark season, I had a friend um, who was also um, had struggled with an eating disorder, um, kind of reminded me that not only does Christ care about what we are struggling with, um, but that he wants to carry that for us. Um, and so this it was like a mind-blowing idea um, that I could give Christ this darkness and um, what had been so engraved as to who I was. It was like part of, even though it was a negative thing, was so much a part of my identity of how I saw myself. Um, and it was kind of a very big mind change um, when I was told that of like being able to give it over to God um, and it's during this, which started my journey of healing and restoring the relationships um, around me. Um, and I wish I could, you know, sit up here today and say I'm fully healed and I don't still struggle and that meals aren't hard at times and that, um, I, but I'm learning, I think, how Christ 
when I gave it over to him, and I daily have to give this over to him, um, he is carrying it alongside of me as he walks with me um, in this process of healing, um, in this journey of restoration, um, and how he has faithfully provided um, in so many ways um, during this past year. He has provided a Christian therapist who specializes in eating disorders and who happens to have an office five minutes from my house. Um, he has um, just provided um, so much patience and understanding um, from the friends and family um, I have sh begun to share this story with. Um, he has provided a group of, call them my like cloud of witnesses, but just the people in my life who have at the drop of a hat, prayed over me and for me, um, and spoken God's truths over me um, when I had very tough mental days. Um, he provided a season, a summer season of immense slowness and staying, um, which just opened um, up a lot of time to just spend time with him and his word um, so that he could remind me of who I am and not who my thoughts um, say I am. Um, that he is singing over me. Um, and um, ultimately, he is restoring the relationship I have with food and exercise. And now exercise is not something um, done out of penance or guilt or fear, but because I simply have a body that he created and that can move. Um, and um, yeah, he has just walked so faithfully um, and restoring my mind um, and ultimately allowing me to um, restore a lot of the relationships with people close to me that I've kept at arm's distance um, because ultimately that was or is one of the biggest side effects of this hiding um, and this darkness has been this fear of like reaching out and asking for help um, and feeling worthy to ask for help and that I'm not a burden. Um, when I ask for help. Um, and so um, it's just been a wonderfully difficult, um, a heavy year, but also a very holy year um, to see how he has walked so faithfully um, in this struggle. Um, in a verse he kind of gave me a few months ago, um, it's from Genesis 35, um, but it's to the God who I cried out to when I, I was in distress, you have been with me wherever I have gone. Um, and just that reminder that he doesn't always, you know, instantly remove these things. And it's been a process and a journey, um, but that he has faithfully walked beside me in all of it. Thank you all. That was, I hope y'all are encouraged. And um, I heard the Lord speaking to me through their stories. And I feel like uh, I didn't even need to say anything <laughs> to begin this whole thing because uh, the Lord is so clearly at work in our lives, and um, yeah, so thank you again for sharing. So just as we go from here, as we, we're going to finish uh, by worshiping the Lord with a couple more songs, um, I would encourage you to spend a few moments this week heading into 24, 2024 that um, there's a unique time, this, you know, at this time of year it's unique in that although we're going into another year and the day's pretty much probably are going to look very similar <laughs> to they do as they do right now. But it's a unique opportunity for us to s sit and reflect on a past year and what the Lord's done in our stories. And so I would encourage you to spend some time doing that, to be 
uh, journaling, reflecting, praying over it, considering how God's been faithful to you, and, um, and go into this year expectant for what he's going to continue to do. Um, because I know some of y'all have great expectations, uh, and some of y'all are, are really dreading this next year, um, and you don't have a lot of hope going into it. Um, but we need to go into this next year knowing that we are not unknown, that we are seen, and that we are chosen. Um, and so as we go back to our fields, like, uh, like the shepherds, uh, we are returning with hope in our hearts. Listening to stories like this, we know God is at work. We have seen his goodness in the face of Jesus, and we see him breaking out into the world in a million different ways, in a million different stories like this. And so we're going, we're going to return to our fields, uh, glorifying and praising God for what he has done. So that's what we're going to do here through song. And uh, let me just pray for us as we close here. Uh, Father, thank you so much for the stories that you've brought up here, that you've woven into our community. Father, thank you for being a God who does not leave us alone, uh, but that continually works in us despite ourselves and through us. Um, thank you that you carry us when we cannot um, hold ourselves. Uh, Lord, I pray that going forward from here, you would cause us to lean more heavily on you in whatever aspect of life that is that you are pressing into us in this moment, on this morning. Uh, Lord, uh, we know that you will be faithful going forward because you have been faithful in our past, and ultimately we know that you have been the most faithful in sending your son Jesus and redeeming us to yourself. So Lord, we have nothing to fear going forward um, because we know we are loved, we know that we are chosen, we know that we are treasured by you. Uh, so Lord, please guide us in that going forward. Uh, we pray all these things in the name of our King Jesus. Amen.